Good morning. Our reading today comes from Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of a Abinoam from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord of God, the God of Israel commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Today we are continuing in our series on Judges, and we have entitled the series Judges in Our Own Eyes because this is the behavior that we see Israel engaged in, where they are making judgments based on their own, <clears throat> pardon me, their own desires, what it is they want, what it is they see as most important. And it is a statement that is made about them at the very end of the book that everyone did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king to tell them otherwise. Now, we know that it doesn't take a king to tell us what to do for us to choose to do what's right in our own eyes, right? If there's a king or there's no king, we will still default to choosing what we want and doing what we want. This is true of all of us. This is something that all of us struggle with. And so we thought, you know, this would be a good way to address this in this sermon is to call attention to this. And I don't know for sure, we'd have to ask uh, Jacob and Maggie uh, as our, our communications team, but this must be what it looks like right here, this guy, when you do what is right in your own eyes. The fashion choices, the crown, right? If any of you come in on a Sunday looking like this, we will assume that you have decided to make yourself king. But the idea here is that this is something that we struggle with, and certainly this is something that Barak and Deborah are struggling with in this passage. They're struggling with the temptation to just do things as is right for them. And they are struggling with the temptation to not have faith, to not keep faith when the people around them are faithless. At the beginning of this passage that Linda read, we see, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so that tells us that the community, the culture that Deborah and Barak are living in is faithless. And it's not just the world around them. And this is our concern often, right? If you're coming to church, if you're belonging to a church body or you're seeking to belong to a church body, you might feel like the people who are faithless are the ones who are outside the doors, the people who are not coming to church, 
But the fact is that we also, who come in these doors, struggle with our faith and struggle with being faithless. And so this is not just something that people outside of church or in the world struggle with, although it is, for sure it is. But understand that the goal here, the goal for Deborah and Brack, the goal for us is not, is not to just win the culture or to win safety or security or peace, which are all amazing things. Anybody have to worry about tanks on the road coming into church this morning? Not here, but in parts of the world, right? Anybody have to worry about there not being roads driving to church this morning? No, but in parts of the world. And those successes we should not overlook. Those are great things that we have a culture of security and safety and provision. Those are awesome things. But ultimately, Jesus tells his disciples that you can gain the world and lose your soul. Right? You can get all of the good things. We could win every culture war. We could have the outside world, the people who don't come to church, look just like us in the way that they behave. We could gain all of that and still lose our souls. So we have to talk about how we are faithful, how we maintain our faith when there is faithlessness around us and not just the world. I'm talking about all of us here. When we all struggle with being faithful, the people around us, the people in our homes, the people in our churches, how do we maintain our faith? So we're going to look at three examples this morning. One of faithfulness, one of fearfulness, and one of fearlessness. And you can obviously see that these things are going to be connected. And this is not like the sort of typical sermon we preach at Grace where one point builds on another. We're going to have to do a little bit of back and forth here, partially because of the way the scripture works. But understand that these are options for you. As we read this text, there's options here for us. Are we going to respond in faithfulness to God's call in our lives? We're going to respond in fear and be fearful. Or like one person who holds the story only for a minute, are we going to be fearless? And what's going to motivate us to that? Let's look at that as we explore the word this morning. Pray with me as we start. Heavenly Father, open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things in your word this morning, things that we don't anticipate, things that you nevertheless have prepared for us. For hundreds of thousands of years, Lord, you have given us this word, and it is true and good, and it nourishes us. And I pray that you would nourish us this morning with the truth. Lord, a truth that sets us free. Ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Judges 4.4 says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time, and she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. If you've been paying attention as we've talked about judges, you've noticed that a number of the judges are not great folks. And as we read through, you'll see that some of them get worse. And in fact, some of the judges that are best known, like Samson, are awfully terrible people, right? They're, they're horrible people. You wouldn't leave your child alone with Samson, right? This is not a nice person, and yet God uses them to judge Israel. But that's not the case with Deborah. Deborah is a standout among the judges in that she is faithful. And what do I mean by faithful? While well, she's speaking God's word, under God's direction, she's dispensing his wisdom, and she's accessible to all the people, right? She is doing what God has called her to do faithfully. That's what, I'm, that's what I mean by faithful. And the people around her are often faithless. The people that she's judging, the people in the land, certainly, but even the people of Israel. Remember, we started this 
by saying, and this is the description here, that the people of Israel are doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. So that's the context that Deborah is speaking in. We don't know a lot about Deborah. There's a lot of tradition, right? There are a lot of things that are extra biblical about Deborah, but they're not necessarily helpful. Um, One of the reasons that there's confusion is that this phrase here, the wife of Lapidoth, is really not clear. It actually is a, a translation in the ESV as wife of, but the Hebrew is belongs to. And so there's lots of ways that you could correctly translate that as belonging to Lapidoth as uh, his wife or belonging to Lapidoth, which is a city, which we have no record of, that's a possibility, or it could be her profession, right? It's not clear. But what we need to know is clear, which is that God has given her the office of speaking the truth. And so she is being a godly woman. And this is important for us to see generally, but women, especially for you to see, that this is a way that a woman can reflect God's image. This is a way that a woman can speak the truth. She can be Christ-like. We'll see Christ-likeness later. But she can be God-honoring and image-bearing, just being faithful. Right? That's how she's held up in Scripture, is somebody who is faithful with the Word of God. So she's faithful. Notice that when Barak says to her, if you'll go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she says, I will surely go with you. And again, there's not a lot of known uh, about these two individuals. And so if we look at extra biblical sources, this gets, this gets problematic, right? Extra biblical sources, especially Jewish tradition, want to say that Deborah and Barak are husband and wife. There's no indication that that's actually the case, but that's the tradition. And they want to say that this is about some sort of internal marriage struggle, I can't find anything in the scripture. If you have something in the scripture, bring it to me afterward and we'll talk about it. But there's nothing in the scripture that I found that says that's the case. And so what I think is true, which is obvious from the text, is that you have one person who's struggling with fear and one person who is exhibiting their faith. And so let's focus on that this morning because Barak is is struggling with fear and we're going to talk about him in a minute. But I said already that Deborah is faithful because she's communicating the word of the Lord as she receives it. She's available to the people, accessible to them. She's telling them what she hears from God. She's judging them with the wisdom that comes from God. And here this man comes to her who has been called by God to do a thing, and he's afraid to do the task that God has called him to do. He doesn't want to do it. He's afraid to do it. And so she says, I'll go with you to do it. And don't see this as enabling right, his fear, because this also is Christ-like. What does Jesus do for his disciples time and time again? God, I am afraid. I don't know how to do this. What does Jesus say? He says, I am with you always. And so this is another form of faithfulness, to walk with the fearful, to give God's words to those who need them, and to share the burden of those words together. So I started by saying that we have to figure out what our response is going to be when we're surrounded by faithlessness. And Deborah's example is one way that we can respond. If you have encountered faithlessness in your family, in your home, in your community, if you've encountered faithlessness here at Grace, then know that this is a way that you can respond, that sometimes that faithlessness is just fear. And that one way that you can respond to that is to give those people the words of God and to walk alongside them. If you're going to be faithful like Deborah is faithful, that is a way that you can respond. It's a way that we should respond. 
This is a good example. Remember I said that Deborah among all of the judges is rare. She's unique. And that there isn't also this sideline story about how she's failing. She's held up as somebody who is faithful. So she's an example of faithfulness. Now let's talk about fearfulness. So she sent and summoned Barak and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you, and I will give him into your hand. Now we don't know exactly what the order of events are here. The way we read this, right, the way that this is translated in the English, it makes it sound like Barak or Barak already has this knowledge in his head. He already knows that God has called him to do this. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? But maybe that's not how it happened. Maybe he didn't figure it out until he got there when he was summoned. But either way, the implication at this point is clear that he knows what he's supposed to do. And Deborah is encouraging him not to be fearful. Don't be afraid. This is what God, the God of Israel, the God who did all of those things that we know are true, right? Calling us out of Egypt and bringing us through the wilderness and bringing us into Canaan. God, that God who did all those things, who saved us, who made us a people, that God, hasn't he called you? Hasn't he called you to bring these uh, soldiers together and to fight against this enemy? But it is fear that leads Barak to say, I don't know if I can be faithful yet. Right? It's fear. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. Timothy has been sent out to be a pastor in the churches that Paul is planting. And Paul says to Timothy, um, little context starting in verse 5 and then 6 and 7, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So there's the heritage. There's the reason that Paul is evoking uh, faith because I've seen it in your family, he says. For this reason, Paul goes on in verse 6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So look at the juxtaposition. Look at the two things laid side by side here that Barak is facing. Either, either the spirit of God, which is about love, right, and power and self-control from God, from the Holy Spirit, or fear. Those are his options. Either he can take the word of the Lord, hey, go, go call this army together, go fight against the enemies of my people, do that in love and in my power and in my self-control, do that or be fearful. Those are the options. This is a response. In a faithless land, when you're surrounded by faithlessness, this is a response that tempts us I don't know what you are afraid of. When I think about what I am afraid of, it includes these sorts of things. Looking to others for approval. If, if you go with me, I'll go. Right? Or looking to others for support. I can't do this alone. I, I think maybe God has called me to do this, but I don't think I can do it, so you go with me. Or just fear fear that we'll miss out on something that we have chosen that's good for ourselves. But the fact is, we miss out on things that God wants to give us. We didn't read it. Um, no, we did read it. I'm sorry. Linda read it this morning, 4 verse 9. 
God says this, or I'm sorry, Deborah says this through God. She said, I will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Barak has the opportunity to receive a good thing from God. And he's told, you're not going to get this because you have been fearful, because you've asked Deborah to go with you. Now, if you're listening, if you're paying attention, you're hearing two possibly opposing things. I said, first of all, that Deborah is faithful by being willing to go with this man. But Barak is fearful by not wanting to go without her. Now, how can both of those be true? Well, both of those can be true because God is asking each of us as individuals to have right hearts before him. And so we can be faithful by walking alongside those who are in fear, but we should not be fearful if we have the Holy Spirit. If we have God calling us, as Barak did, to do a thing, speaking to us explicitly, we shouldn't be fearful. So both can be true, right? She can be faithful and he can be fearful at the same time. And when he is fearful, it leads to him missing out on the good thing that God wants to give him. And that's true for us. So our fear is misplaced, right? When we are fearful, when we look to other people for approval and support instead of trusting the Lord, we're afraid of what those other people are going to say about us, how they're going to look at us, what they're going to think about us. We should be concerned about missing out on the things that God has planned for us. He made us. He knows what's best for us. How many of you have taken your child somewhere, right? You, maybe you're on vacation, you're going to a, a gift shop or something, and they want to choose a thing for themselves, some memento, some, some great thing to remember their trip by. Does your child choose wisely in that situation? Ever? No. Never. They choose a thing that makes no sense to you, right, that they love for five, maybe seven minutes, and then it's forgotten in the car somewhere, and you dig it out 13 years later, Right? That is how we are. That is who we are. We are so afraid of missing out. And we're looking at all the pretty shiny things around us and we're grabbing the thing that seems to make sense. And God is over here standing on the side saying, I have something much better planned for you. If you're going to be afraid of anything, be afraid of missing out on the good things that I have planned for you. Don't be afraid of the things that you would choose for yourself, like the approval of other people. Because that's not going to satisfy you. But that's where Barak is. He is stuck. He is fearful. We know that God has spoken to him directly. We know that God has said to him clearly, here's what I want to do for you. And we're not going to read this part of the story, but what happens is that he is eventually faithful, right? He says, Deborah, if you'll go with me, I'll go. So he goes. Deborah goes with him. And they get to this battle. And it's not stated, if you look in the next chapter, the next chapter is the song of Deborah and Barak, and it tells the story of this whole uh, situation, all that unfolds. And it is implied, it's not directly stated, it's implied that what happens is the army of Sisera is all arrayed along this river, right? And they've got chariots of iron, which is great, which is great when the ground is hard and dry. It's not so good when the ground is muddy, right? Imagine driving your iron chariot through mud, and you know what happens, right? So... This is what happens. A flash flood comes along and it basically annihilates the army, makes their chariots useless, right? Truly, clearly an act of God. And Barak knows at that point that he was silly to be fearful. But he was anyway because he was afraid. He was afraid of what people around him were going to think, what was going to happen, would he be successful, could he trust the Lord. 
as Paul tells Timothy, God has given us not a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, right? And of love and of self-control in the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. That's what we should be thinking about, not our fear. So there's somebody else in this story who we did not read about much, who we're going to read about now, who we need to talk about because she is somebody who is fearless. And this will not be all of us. Not all of us are called to this kind of faith. But let me tell you, this is some serious faith. This is something that we have access to, that all of us can be fearless in this way, but most of us won't because we'll struggle with the fearfulness. So let's talk about Jael. So Sisera, he is the captain of this opposing army, right? Israel is fighting against Sisera and the army. Sisera flees. The flood happens, the flash flood happens, his chariots are wasted, uh, the, the men of Israel have sent their army right on a route, and so he flies away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, and there's peace between Jabin, that Sisera's king, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So he says, here is a place I can go where I will be safe. I'm going to go to this person's tent because I know that they have a treaty with my king, I can be safe there. Here's what he doesn't know or what he's not counting on. That this woman, Jael, who lives in this tent, she fears God. She is a God follower. She knows the power of the Lord. And so she's going to trust God in this situation. So Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. And so he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please, give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. And so she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. Right? If you weren't clear before, I'm lying here under a, I'm lying here under a rug. Make sure nobody knows I'm here. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying asleep from weariness, and he died. That's some serious stuff. <laughs> right? That is fearlessness. That is fearlessness. Let's talk about why. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. Have you ever said to somebody, don't be afraid, precisely because you were afraid? Have you ever said this to somebody because you knew how scary things were? Maybe especially as a child, where your sibling or somebody, one of your friends, was scared, and so you're trying to comfort them, and so you say to them, don't be afraid. You ever done that? I think, I think that this is what Jael is doing in this situation. I think she is scared to death. Ladies, imagine, imagine there is a general outside your house who has just lost a war. Is your first impulse to invite him into the house? And what if your house is a tent? I think she is scared to death of this situation. But I think that she has faith and fearless faith in the Lord that supersedes her fear of this situation. And here's why. Because in the face of that fear, she rejects it. She has courage and she remembers what the Lord says. We're going to turn to Joshua 1 here in a second. But she has faith that God is who he says he is and does what he says he does. Only faith in that situation is going to promote or prompt fearlessness. Only faith, right? Otherwise, you're going to look at that situation and you're going to say, 
I just don't want to get hurt. Right? Here's a strange man. He is a warrior. He is on the run. He is already dangerous before he's been defeated, but now he's doubly dangerous, and now he wants to seek refuge in my tent. I think I'll just ignore him, right? I think I will not go to my tent door and invite him in. I think I will just pretend that he's not there. But no, she invites him in, right? She pretends as though there's nothing to fear. He asks for water, and she says, no, why don't you have a nice glass of milk and lay down? under this rug. You're exhausted. And he goes to sleep. And she is the instrument of the Lord's justice. Now, please do not hear me say, never hear Grace Community Church say that this is the way to deal with your enemies. All right? This is not how we approach our enemies. We should love our enemies. This is what Jesus teaches. But Jesus also references the scripture, calls it the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord here says that I am using JL as my instrument of justice. Okay, and that is confirmed later in the next chapter that she is right in this action. This is not vengeance as far as we know. This man has done nothing to her. Instead, she is being faithful to the Lord. She is doing what she understands to be true from God. And so she she executes justice on this man. Now this is fearlessness. I don't know that any of us are in this spot, but I pray that we will be. Pray that when God calls us to a place and a time and action where we need to be fearless, that we will be fearless. Because we have no reason to fear if God is our God. But all of this might feel like it's just too many steps removed because none of us, I think, are living in tents anymore. None of us are seeking out local judges that sit under palm trees, right? And so we need to see something that looks more like what we do and how we do it. So here's what we've seen so far. Israel is evil. There is faithfulness in the example of Deborah. There is fearfulness in the example of Barak. And there is fearlessness in the example of Jael. What does this look like in the person of Jesus? So Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here we see Jesus, like Deborah, speaking God's word, walking alongside those who are afraid. And how do we know that he's walking alongside those who are afraid from the very beginning? Because the scripture tells us that the people who had been following John the Baptist come to him. And they're like, this guy, we thought he was it. He was out in the desert. He was kind of special. He wore camel's hair. He ate bugs. He was pretty cool. We thought he was the next prophet. And no, in fact, he has been captured, and now he's going to be beheaded. And so they are fearful, and Jesus walks alongside them, and he tells them the truth. He tells them God's word. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. We know that Jesus is surrounded by faithlessness, and this is much more like the faithlessness that we are likely to see in our everyday lives. We are likely to see people for one reason or another, who are taken away because of their faithfulness, right? Like John the Baptist. Thankfully, in our country, people are not yet imprisoned or beheaded for their faith. But in some parts of the world today, that is happening. And that is real for some brothers and sisters in Christ. And it may become real for us at some point, right? Remember I said when I started that it doesn't matter if we gain the world and lose our souls, We could gain everything. We could win every single culture war and still lose our souls. 
And so we have to be prepared as Jesus was prepared to say that I have faith in God the Father even if my friends are being captured, imprisoned, and put to death. That's what faithfulness looks like. That's what Jesus shows us as faithfulness. What about in the face of fear? In Luke 22, Jesus withdraws from the disciples about a stone's throw and he kneels down and he prays. And he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is right before Jesus is crucified. I'm fairly sure that any of us would be afraid in that situation. Jesus is struggling with fear in this situation. He is about to die. Not just die, but be tortured. And not just be tortured, but in one of the worst ways known to people at the time. He's about to be tortured and killed. And so he says, God, I'm afraid. So if you can take this from me, please do. But if not, if this is your will, then I want your will to be done. So like Barak before him, he's confronted by fear. But unlike Barak, Jesus doesn't make demands. He doesn't say, God, I will do this. I will do this if you have some angels that are visible next to me and everybody can see these angels while I'm being crucified, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't make demands of the Heavenly Father. He says, Lord, please take this from me. But if not, then give me the strength to do this. He submits to the Father's will. He makes God's will supreme over his own. So this is the right way to deal with fearfulness because we will all be afraid. All of us will. Some of you will be afraid today that nobody's going to go with you, right? Whether it is to talk to a neighbor or whether it is to have a conversation within your family, you're just, you're afraid. You're fearful of what other people are going to say or do or think. And it's not that we can't be afraid. Jesus, Jesus understands fear. He knows, right, better than anybody what it means to be crucified because he understands he's a maker of people, right? Jesus creates. He's the creator God. He understands what it means to tear a person down. And yet, he says, not my will, but yours be done. So this is how we can respond to fear. And then, after Jesus has died and risen, Matthew 28, he comes to his disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me it says, go and make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, why does he say that specifically? Because we need to know that he is with us. Barak goes to Deborah and he says, I'm going to go if you go with me, because what he doesn't remember is that God is already with him. Hear that again. Barak doesn't remember that God is already with him. Why should he know that? Why did Jael know that? Well, I told you we're going to go back to Joshua chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, go back to Joshua chapter 1. And let's look at what Joshua is told, what Israel is told in Joshua chapter 1. Starting in verse 5. This is God speaking to the people. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. He's speaking to Joshua specifically. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do it according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said that to Joshua. He said it to Israel and Moses before in Deuteronomy. And he says it again here in Matthew. I am with you always. This is how Deborah is faithful. This is why Barak is not. Right? Deborah is faithful because she knows that God is with her. Again, that same God who took Israel out of slavery who demonstrated his power, that same God, the God who told Abram, I'm going to make you a nation, even though he had no children, and then he made him a nation, right? That same God is the God who is saying, I will be with you always. And inasmuch as we believe that, we lose our fear. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. It's like, listen, either you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is giving you his power, and he's giving you his love, and he's enabling you to be self-controlled in the face of fear, or you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're afraid. You're afraid. But we see Jesus here having, having conquered fear and death, after having conquered every sin, that he does not execute judgment first, right? Even, even though Jael is held up as an example of somebody who is just, Right? He doesn't call us to all go and find our enemy and draw them into our tent and put a tent peg through their temple. Right? He says, no, let me lay down on this cross and take giant nails and pin me to this cross and I will be the substitute for you. Because understand that Deborah can go with Barak to war. Right? She can go with him, but only Jesus can go where we can't go. Only he can conquer death and sin for us. And so he does. Right? He says, I will take all of the justice that you deserve on myself, and I will be nailed to a cross. And so he gives the same comfort that he gave to Joshua and Jael, saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. But he gives us even greater comfort because he says, I will go before you. I will give up my life for you. I'll give you everlasting life. You understand, that's what we're trading. That's what we're being willing to give up when we fear the things of man. When we look at the faithless world around us, and we say, there's no faith here. There's no faith in my community. There's no faith in my school, right? I see the kids being taught things that are not consistent with my faith, or I, I see at my workplace that all they do is talk about faithless things, or even in my family, they're supposed to be Christians. My, my brothers and sisters, my blood brothers and sisters are supposed to be Christians, and they're faithless, when we see that faithlessness, we are tempted to fear. And what we fear are the things of this world that are passing away. And we are not thinking about, we're not reminded of what Jesus says when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what do I mean by with you always? I mean that I will come and make my home in you, he says. I'll give you everlasting life. And if you're below, I don't know, probably 25, 30, you have not yet thought about what it means to age because your body hasn't told you that you're aging yet. 
But around 30, your body starts to tell you it's aging, right? You wake up with pains you have no explanation for, right? Or you reach for something and your arm just gives out and you're like, why did that happen? And you're reminded that your body has a shelf life. You're reminded of what Moses says when he says, we get 70, 80 years maybe if the Lord gives us strength. And you're reminded that everlasting life is a gift worth having. And Jesus gives this to us freely. And not just so that we can have life, right? But so that we can have life without pain and without fear and without death. So that we can do the things that we were designed to do. Which is glorify him, which is enjoy him forever, which is make and create and build we don't talk about it enough, and I've said this before from the pulpit, we don't talk about enough how awesome and how wonderful a gift that heaven is. We're tempted to think it's just not dying or just being free from death. But it is so much more than that. If you believe what the scripture says, then you understand that God made you for a purpose that you get to fulfill completely for eternity if you accept him as Savior. And that is a gift that is absolutely worth having worth shedding every fear for because Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. So we don't always do this, but today I want to ask you, I want to ask you to make a decision of some kind. Make a decision today to be fearless, to be faithful even. You say, I don't know what God is calling me to. He's not, he's not gifted me. I'm not a prophet. I'm not asked to sit under a palm tree and dispense wisdom. That's fine. He's called you to be his child. He's called you to love, right, and to live for him. So do that. Be faithful today. Can we get that last slide back up again, please? If that means that you just want to be more involved at church, you just want to be more involved in the body, then do that. Scan the QR code, fill out a sheet in the back at the info desk, and let us know. I would like to be more involved. I want to know how I can be more engaged in the body. If you know, if God has been telling you, I need to be giving more, I was planning on going out for pizza every night this week, but I thought maybe I could give some money to Guatemala instead, right? Do that. Be faithful in that. Whatever it is. If it's just that you need to come forward after the service and pray about your fear, do that. But make a choice today. Don't leave here with no response to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these examples. Thank you for Deborah. Lord, I praise you for a woman after your own heart who wants to speak the truth, who's willing to go with the fearful. Thank you for her example, Lord, and I pray that you would show us how to be faithful as she was faithful to your word. Lord, keep us from a spirit of fear and timidity. Keep us from this worry and this doubt that the people around us will not accept us or that the things of this world will miss out on when we have all of eternity held up for us, Lord. And you, even better than all of eternity, is you, the maker and creator, the author and perfecter of our faith. We get to spend eternity with you, Lord. Help us to hold fast to that, even as you hold fast to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to decide this week how we will serve, that we would choose this day who we would serve. Even as Joshua called the people of Israel, we would be called by you to serve you and that we would do it faithfully and fearlessly today. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Go in grace.